In the Bible, we find numerous prayers offered by men and sometimes women recorded for us and for the sake of history that help us to understand how we pray and the reasons that we should rejoice. One of those occasions is the good one that our brother Dan led us in to think about that prayer of David at the dedication of the temple some 3,000 years ago. There are prayers recorded where Jesus prays, and we see what he had to say to his Father that teach us great things as well. And I want to this morning look at a prayer of a female where she rejoiced and she prayed. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, where we're going to spend the majority of our time together today in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2. As we answer the question, why did Hannah rejoice? Who is this Hannah individual and why did she rejoice? Before we get to that, a couple of housekeeping things. Number one, David and I are not starting a new fad of not wearing coats. Um, as you get older, you get a little more forgetful. And so halfway on my way to the building today, I thought, you know what? I think I've got everything. I'm prepared. I've got my mask, but I don't have my coat with me. So we're going to go without the coat today, and that's not a new fad that we are starting. On a more serious note, I uh, wanted to share with you that Diane Folks, who many of you know, has wanted to share how grateful she is for the kindness that has been shown to her in the last couple weeks with calls and cards that you all have sent to her. And I wanted to also say thank you on a personal note, because this is a very giving congregation and very generous, and some of you have actually helped us out with an appliance that malfunctioned. Actually, it was user error, I think, but some of you helped us out, and we appreciate that as well. My error, not Wendy's. Uh, and the last housekeeping thing is we are very blessed this morning to have our newest member of the Lord's Church, Brother David Torado. He is with us this morning. We're glad that he is now not just a friend of ours, but he is our brother in Christ. He was baptized into Christ earlier this week, and that was an exciting thing for this church, an exciting thing for his family, and we are so glad to be able to worship with him today, and for the first time for him to partake of the Lord's Supper as a brother or a sister in Christ. We're thankful to have him as a brother, thankful for his good family, and thankful for your attendance here this morning. For those of you that are watching, thank you, and for those of you in the parking lot, you are invaluable to our work that is going on here. I want to start, though, by asking the question, who was this Hannah character that we are introduced to in chapter 1? In verse 2, it says that he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So we learn that in the introduction to Hannah, that she was an, an individual who was barren. She was unable to have children. And as good Bible students, you know that this is a common Old Testament theme. Not just an Old Testament theme, but sometimes it appears in the New Testament as well, where individuals are unable to have children. And while that might be in the 21st century something that we look at and say, well, that's unfortunate, there was an additional level of unfortunate nature in earlier times because this was actually a sentence of isolation. Because back then, in the uh, absence of medical information, it was the woman's fault. 
if you could not have children. And so blame was assigned to her, and isolation was the name of the game for this woman, both for her present and for her future, because she was responsible for the barrenness. And so one of the things that we learn in chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 6, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 2, but if you read chapter 1, is that Hannah was favored by Elkanah, and Hannah was also plagued by Penina. Hannah promised her future child to God in verse 11 when she made a vow and she says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give me a male child, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And then as you fast forward through the last half of chapter 1 and then into chapter 2, you see where indeed a child is born. The likely author of the book, the one who's writing as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, Samuel. And after the birth of Samuel, she prays and she rejoices. So I appreciate so much Dan leading us through a prayer today because it sets the stage for another prayer this time of a woman, someone who usually takes a back seat to the biblical story, but rather she comes full circle in praying to God and she rejoices. The question that I wanted to pose this morning is why did she rejoice? And as a result of that question and the way that we answer it, why do we rejoice as well? Why do we rejoice in prayer? Why is it that prayer is such a joyful thing for us? Let me suggest three reasons this morning that prayer is an occasion for us to rejoice. Number one, we rejoice because we see the Lord's protection in our life. Read with me, if you would, in chapter one. And what we're going to do is we're going to read the entire prayer and come back and make a series of observations. Hannah prayed, and she says, my heart rejoices. There's our key word. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. Nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled and girded with strength, those who were full, have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills, the Lord makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet, verse 9, of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Incidentally, it's kind of interesting to know that she begins with the horn and she ends with the horn. 
there in chapters 2, verses 1, 9, and 10. What do we mean by a horn? A horn in the Old Testament usually had something to do with the altar or with a person's strength because a horn is representative of strength and power. And here she is, a powerless individual, in part because of her gender, but in part because she can't have any children. And she says, you are my power, and you will make me powerful, God. And the same is true for us. And so she says, you have protected me. I rejoice in your salvation. Or in the NIV, I rejoice in your deliverance. God says, I will deliver you and I will provide you protection. God, according to what Hannah prayed, guards the feet of his saints. Now, of course, we know that God will protect us as well. And he will provide us with the necessary protection, but we have to make the necessary preparation first. Remember what Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 says? says that we are to shod our feet with the gospel. So we can't just go out into the world and say, God's going to protect me without taking the necessary precautions ourselves. We have to make sure that we are ready to serve him so that he can then provide us his protection. But I want to spend just a moment or two looking at verse 10, where it says the adversaries of the Lord are going to be broken in pieces. From the heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Consider verse 10 for just a moment. Let me share with you three real quick observations from just verse 10. Number one, the adversaries of God are going to be broken in pieces. Or to use the New American Standard Version, they are going to be shattered. God is going to take your enemies and he's going to shatter them. That's a powerful idea. The, the idea that no one can stop me. Now, we know in this world there are going to be people that are going to try to stop us. But God says, I'll provide you protection and I will shatter your enemies. He also says there, I'm going to thunder against your enemies. You know, thunder is one of those things that is kind of frightening. Especially if you come from the West Coast... <laughs> You don't have thunder there. It, you have hot, you have hotter, and then you have desert, and then you have hotter. That's what we were used to. And the first thunderstorm here, Wendy's like, what in the world is that noise? Now, me being from Indiana after 20 years, I'm thinking it's no big deal. I kind of like the sound of thunder. But it's frightening to someone who's never really experienced it before. God says, I'm going to thunder against the enemies because I'm going to shatter them into pieces. Because thirdly, judgment belongs to the Lord. That's who judgment belongs to. He's the one who's in control the entire time. No wonder why he's able to thunder and while he is able to shatter. And so Hannah says, I am rejoicing in prayer because you have protected me. We rejoice in prayer as well because God protects us. Secondly, we rejoice because of God's power because of the Lord's power in our lives. Look, if you would, again in verses 2 and 3. We'll read them quickly and then come back and make two or three quick observations. No one, no one, no one, 
No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. No one, no one is holy like the Lord. That, by the way, should probably be incorporated in every prayer that we offer. Maybe not necessarily in those words, but that idea needs to be present in everything that we pray. God, you are holy. You are awesome. You are important. You are powerful. And there is none other like you. We are told to be holy like him, even though we know that achieving that level of holiness is actually impossible. But that's our goal. Our goal is to be as holy like God as possible. Seeing God as the rock is, to me, reminiscent of the Song of Moses. Let's just take a moment and go over, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. And I want to read just three or four verses here. If you want to read Deuteronomy 32 on your own, it's yet another prayerful song of rejoicing. And in Psalm 32, in verse 4, in songs that we sometimes sing about God being the rock of ages or the rock of our salvations. Oh, the Lord is our rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Drop down to verse 30. How could one chase a thousand and put 10,000 to flight unless their rock has sold them and the Lord has thundered them? For their rock is not like our rock. Now, in my Bible, in reading from the New King James Version, in my particular version, verse 31, the editors have chosen to uncapitalize the first rock and to capitalize the second rock in verse 31. Because they're trying to get a point across that the gods of the world are not going to compare with the god of creation. And that fits nicely with everything we always talk about. That we serve God and not gods. God is the god of knowledge according to chapter 2 and verse 3. The Lord is the god of knowledge and encourages us to put away arrogance and to put away pride because we serve a God of power. It's not in us to secure our own salvation or to provide for ourselves. God is the one who gives us protection and is the one who gives us power. And that brings us to the third thing that God does for us that Hannah rejoices over. And she says, I love God. I'm rejoicing because he provides for me. We won't reread those few verses in verses 4, 5, 6, and 8. But what you'll notice in those verses that we read just a few moments ago is that Hannah prays to God and rejoices in God and provides comparison to what does not provide. She says, there are a lot of things that do not do it for me, that don't get me where I need to be in my life physically or spiritually. And so what are those things? Verse 4, military might. The power of an army may be something to be feared. 
But she says, that's not something that gets me where I need to be. So it's not military might. We'll be talking more about this in the coming months as we think about our 2020 vision. Let's face it, 2020 vision has kind of gone out the window, <laughs> hasn't it? But we're still trying to talk about some of those things. And one of those things we're going to talk about is God and money and finances and the way that we are to be giving to others. But not money. That's not where our priority is. And it's not material blessings in chapter 2, verse 5 in the second section there. God raises the poor and lifts the beggar. And I love this particular translation, which says that God raises the poor from the garbage pile. God can take you from a heap of garbage where your life was filled with garbage spiritually because you were void of godliness. You were without all the goodness that comes from God. And he says, I can take you from the garbage of life and I can put you in a place because I will provide for you. That's the God that we serve and the God that we rejoice in. The fact is, is that God provides in ways beyond our thought and beyond our imagination. I love Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's probably one of my new favorite verses in the last three to five years where it says in paraphrased form that God is able to do above what we could imagine, what we think, what we could ponder. That's the God that we serve because that's the God that provides. I love the prayer of Hannah. But in studying for this, I couldn't help but think about two other texts in the Bible. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Because as I'm reading through this, I'm like, this sounds like something else. It sounds like something very New Testament-like. <laughs> New Testament-y-like. By another woman. Does it not? And it also sounds like a psalm. So I want to look at two bonus texts today. Just because you decided to show up today, I decided to throw in two bonus texts. One is Psalm 113. I want to go over there real quickly. I know that time is escaping us, but I want to just look at Psalm 113 for just a moment. It's a relatively brief psalm. It's nine verses, and it starts out by saying, Praise the Lord. So it's a psalm of prayer and praise and rejoicing. And it ends with, in verse 9, praise the Lord. So it's one of those great bookend poems or psalms where it talks about praising the Lord. And as you were to read all nine verses this week in your own studies, note some similarities. Verses 4 and 5, the Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high? It speaks of God's power. And then if you drop down to verses 7 and 8, he raises the poor of the dust. He raises them from the garbage pile. He lifts the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people, and he grants the barren woman a home. So the psalmist again goes back to this Old Testament motif of women being unable to bear. I thought that was kind of interesting, just to kind of set 1 Samuel chapter 2 and then put Psalm 113 next to it, kind of compare and contrast those, because there's a lot more comparison than there is contrasting in those two passages. The other bonus text 
before we get to that, I want you to know that Psalm 113 is written by David. Samuel is the one who recorded the prayer of Hannah. Think about all of the interaction that these great men have had with other great men. But I want you to note what happens then in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And I do want to read this Magnificat as it is normally referred to. In fact, there is a song that is available for us to sing. We may know, maybe you've heard of the song Magnificat, uh, which is actually a almost word for word of Luke chapter 1. You know, Luke chapter 1 sometimes gets skipped because we immediately go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 is familiar because of the story and the account of the birth of Jesus. But Luke chapter 1 is interesting. It's where Mary and Elizabeth spend some time together talking about things. But look, if you would, at chapter 1, verse 46, and I'll read through verse 55, and I'll read it rather rapidly. Then I want to come back and just make two quick observations, two or three real quickly. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is one of those texts which, by the way, give me chills when I read it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and is holy in his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her three months, and then returned to her own house. It speaks of God's power. It speaks of God providing. And Mary speaks of the promises made by God for all time. Additionally, and if it's not already something that strikes you as interesting, odd, surprising whatever word you want to use. Note, if you would, that Hannah's prayer and Mary's song are both from women, which is further evidence of a God that cares about all people. In generations where, where men were way up here and women were way down here, where God comes along and he says, I believe that all men, all women, whether they be Jew, whether they be Greek, whether they be from my own chosen people, or whether they be from outside, all people can come to serve me. Which brings us to this, the application from Hannah's prayer, or for that matter, the psalmist's prayer, or for that matter, Mary's prayer. This is why we pray, and this is why we praise it's because he protects us, because he shows us his power, and because he provides for us. That's what Mary was doing. That's what the psalmist did in Psalm 113, and that's what Hannah did. And that's why we rejoice, too. You think about all the reasons why we rejoice. Get a job promotion, get married, get a new boyfriend or girlfriend, 
get a new boyfriend or girlfriend and post it so the people now know. We're excited about those things, aren't we? But the real rejoicing happens when God provides, when he protects, and he shows us his power. That's cause to rejoice. And that's what God has done for each of us, not only today, but each day that we live. We're so thankful that you're here this morning. For those of you that are listening, for those of you that are watching, and for those of you that are present in this building. And we want to invite those who may not have received the power, protection, and providence from God to make the decision to come forward to say, yes, I'm ready to become a child of God. I want to decide that I will serve him forever. As the song says, I have decided to follow Jesus. So hark the gentle voice of Jesus who calls. And we want for you to become a Christian today so that you can rejoice and that we can rejoice with you. We're already happy because of a new brother in Christ. Can you imagine exponentially the, the rejoicing that would happen over another one? We might not be able to contain ourselves. And that's okay. Let's not contain ourselves. Let's rejoice over those who decide to serve God or for those who may be present this morning who need prayers of brethren, who want to seek the care that comes from brothers and sisters in Christ who care about them. If we can help you in any way to serve God more favorably, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.